Chapter Twenty Two of Beverly of Graustark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patricia Rutledge of Yorba Linda, California. Beverly of Graustark by George Barr McCutcheon. Chapter Twenty Two. A Proposal. She shrank back with a great dread in her heart. Marlanx, of all men! Why was he in the park at this hour of the night? There could be but one answer, and the very thought of it almost suffocated her. He was drawing the net with his own hands. He was spying with his own eyes. For a full minute it seemed to her that her heart would stop beating. How long had he been standing there? What had he seen or heard? Involuntarily she peered over the rail for a glimpse of Baldos. He had gone out into the darkness, missing the men at the lamp post, either by choice or through pure good fortune. A throb of thankfulness assailed her heart. She was not thinking of her position, but of his. Again she drew stealthily away from the rail, possessed of a ridiculous feeling that her form was as plain to the vision as if it were broad daylight. The tread of a man impelled her to glance below once more before fleeting to her room. Marlanx was coming toward the veranda. She fled swiftly, pausing at the window to lower the friendly but forgotten umbrella. From below became the sibilant hiss of a man seeking to attract her attention. Once more she stopped to listen. The hiss was repeated, and then her own name was called softly but imperatively. It was beyond the power of woman to keep from laughing. It struck her as irresistibly funny that the Iron Count should be standing out there in the rain, signaling her like a lovesick boy. Once she was inside, however, it did not seem so amusing. Still, it gave her an immense amount of satisfaction to slam the windows loudly, as if in pure defiance. Then she closed the blinds, shutting out the night completely. Turning up the light at her dressing table, she sat down in a state of sudden collapse. For a long time she stared at her face in the mirror. She saw the red of shame and embarrassment mount to her cheeks, and then she covered her eyes with her hands. "'Oh, what a fool you've been!' she half-sobbed, shrinking from the mirror as if it were an accuser. She prepared for bed with frantic haste. Just as she was about to scramble in and hide her face in the pillows, a shocking thought came to her. The next she was at the windows, and the slats were closed with a rattle like a volley of firearms. Then she jumped into bed. She wondered if the windows were locked. Out she sprang again like a flash, and her little bare feet scurried across the room, first to the windows, then to the door. Now, I reckon I'm safe, she murmured a moment later again getting into bed. I love to go to sleep with the rain pattering outside like that. Oh, dear, I'm so sorry he has to walk all night in this rain. Poor fellow. I wonder where he is now. Goodness, it's raining cats and dogs. But in spite of the rain, she could not go to sleep. Vague fears began to take possession of her. Something dreadful told her that 
Count Marlanx was on the balcony and at her window, notwithstanding the rain-pour. The fear became oppressive, maddening. She felt the man's presence almost as strongly as if he were in plain view. He was there. She knew it. The little revolver that had served her so valiantly at the night of the hawk and raven lay upon a stool near the bedside every night. Consumed by the fear that the window might open slowly at any moment, she reached forth and clutched the weapon. Then she shrank back in the bed, her eyes fixed upon the black space across the room. For hours she shivered and waited for the window to open, dozing away time and again, only to come back to wakefulness with a start. The next morning she confessed to herself that her fears had been silly. Her first act, after breakfasting alone in her room, was to seek out Colonel Quinnox, commander of the castle guard. In her mind, she was greatly troubled over the fate of the bold visitor of the night before. There was a warm red glow in her face and a quick beat in her heart as she crossed the parade ground. Vagabond though he was, he had conquered where princes had failed. Her better judgment told her that she could be nothing to this debonair knight of the road, yet her heart stubbornly resisted all the arguments that her reason put forth. Colonel Quinnox was pleasant, but he could give Beverly no promise of leniency in regard to Baldos. Instructions had come to him from General Marlanx, and he could not set them aside at will. Her plea that he might once more be assigned to old-time duties found the colonel regretfully obdurate. Baldos could not ride with her again until Marlanx withdrew the order which now obtained. Beverly swallowed her pride and resentment diplomatically, smiled her sweetest upon the distressed colonel, and marched defiantly back to the castle. Down in her rebellious, insulted heart, she was concocting all sorts of plans for revenge. Chief among them was the terrible overthrow of the Iron Count. Her wide scope of vengeance even contemplated the destruction of Graustark if her end could be obtained in no other way. Full of these bitter-sweet thoughts, she came to the castle doors before she saw who was waiting for her upon the great veranda. As she mounted the steps, a preoccupied frown upon her brow, General Marlanx, lean, crafty, and confident, advanced to greet her. The early hour was responsible for the bright solitude which marked the place, but few signs of life were in evidence about the castle. She stopped with a sharp exclamation of surprise. Then scorn and indignation rushed in to fill the place of astonishment. She faced the smiling old man with anger in her eyes. "'Good morning,' he said, extending his hand, which she did not see. She was wondering how much he had seen and heard at midnight. "'I thought the troops were massing this morning,' she said coldly. "'Don't you mass, too?' "'There is time enough for that, my dear.' I came to have a talk with you, in private, he said meaningly. It is sufficiently private here, Count Marlanx. What have you to say to me? I want to talk to you about last night. You were very reckless to do what you did. Oh, you were playing the spying, then? she asked scornfully. An involuntary observer, believe me, and a jealous one. 
I had hoped to win the affections of an innocent girl. What I saw last night shocked me beyond expression. Well, you shouldn't have looked, she retorted, tossing her chin, and the red feather in her hat bobbed angrily. I am surprised that one as clever as you could have carried on an amour so incautiously, he said blandly. What do you mean? I mean that I saw everything that occurred. Well, I'm not ashamed of it, obstinately. Good-bye, Count Marlinx. One moment, please. I cannot let you off so easily. What right had you to take that man into your room, a place sacred in the palace of Graustark? Answer me, Miss Calhoun. Beverly drew back in horror and bewilderment. Into my room, she gasped. Let us waste no time in subterfuge. I saw him come from your window, and I saw all that passed between you and the balcony. Love's eyes are keen. What occurred in your chamber I can only— Stop! How dare you say such a thing to me, she fiercely cried. You miserable coward! You know he was not in my room. Take it back, take back every word of that lie. She was white with passion, cold with terror. Bah! This is childish. I am not the only one who saw him, my dear. He was in your room. You were in his arms. It's useless to deny it. And to think that I have spared him from death to have it come to this. You need not look so horrified. Your secret is safe with me. I come to make terms with you. My silence in exchange for your beauty. It's worth it to you. One word from me, you are disgraced and Baldos dies. Come, my fair lady, give me your promise. It's a good bargain for both. Beverly was trembling like a leaf. This phase of his villainy had not occurred to her. She was like a bird trying to avoid the charmed eye of the serpent. Oh, you, you miserable wretch, she cried, hoarse with anger and despair. What a cur you are! You know you are not speaking the truth. How can you say such things to me? I have never wronged you. She was almost in tears, impotent with shame and fear. It has been a pretty game of love for you and the excellent Baldos. You have deceived those who love you best and trust you most. What will the princess say when she hears of last night's merry escapade? What will she say when she learns who was hostess to a common guardsman at the midnight hour? It is no wonder that you look terrified. It is for you to say whether she is to know or not. You can bind me to silence. You have lost Baldos. Take me and all that I can give you in his stead, and the world never shall know the truth. You love him, I know, and there is but one way to save him. Say the word, and he goes free to the hills. Decline, and his life is not worth a breath of air. Unpretending to believe this of me, you still ask me to be your wife? What kind of man are you? she demanded, scarcely able to speak. My wife, he said harshly. Oh, no, you are not the wife of Baldos, he added significantly. Good God! gasped Beverly, crushed by the brutality of it all. I would sooner die. Would to heaven my father were here, he would shoot you as he would a dog. 
Oh, how I loathe you! Don't you try to stop me. I shall go to the princess myself. She shall know what manner of beast you are. She was racing up the steps, flaming with anger and shame. Remember, I can prove what I have said. Beware what you do. I love you so much that now I ask you to become my wife. Think well over it. Your honor and his life. It rests with you, he cried eagerly, following her to the door. You disgusting old fool, she hissed, turning upon him as she pulled the big brass knocker on the door. I must have my answer tonight, or you know what will happen, he snarled. But he felt in his heart that he had lost through his eagerness. She flew to Yetive's boudoir, consumed by rage and mortification. Between sobs and feminine maledictions, she poured the whole story in all its ugliness into the ears of the princess. Now, Yetive, you have to stand by me in this, announced the narrator conclusively, her eyes beaming hopefully through her tears. I cannot prevent General Marlanx from preferring serious charges against Baldos, dear. I know he was not in your room last night. You did not have to tell me that, because I saw you both at the balcony rail. Beverly's face took on such a radiant look of rejoicing that Yetive was amply played. Beverly's face took on such a radiant look of rejoicing that Yetive was amply paid for the surprising and gratifying acknowledgment of a second period of eavesdropping. You may depend upon me to protect you from Marlanx. He can make it very unpleasant for Baldos, but he shall pay dearly for this insult to you. He has gone too far. I don't think he has any proof against Baldos, said Beverly, thinking only of the guardsman. But it is so easy to manufacture evidence, my dear. The Iron Count has set his heart upon having you, and he is not the man to be turned aside so easily. He seems to think he can get wives as easily as he gets rid of them, I observe. I was going back to Washington soon, Yetive, but I'll stay on now and see this thing to the end. He can't scare Calhoun, no siree. I'll telegraph for my brother Dan to come over here and punch his head to pieces. Now, now, don't be so high and mighty, dear. Let's see how rational we can be, said the princess gently. Whereupon the hot-headed girl from Dixie suspended hostilities and became a very demure young woman. Before long she was confessing timidly, then boldly, that she loved Baldos better than anything in all the world. I can't help it, Yetive. I know I oughtn't to, but what is there to do when one can't help it? There would be an awful row at home if I married him. Of course, he hasn't asked me. Maybe he won't. In fact, I'm sure he won't. I shan't give him a chance. But if he does ask me, I'll just keep putting him off. I've done it before, you know. You see, for a long, long time I fancied he might be a prince, but he isn't at all. I've had his word for it. He's just an ordinary person, like, like, well, like I am. Only he doesn't look so ordinary. Isn't he handsome, Yetive? And dear me, he is so impulsive. If I, if he had asked me to jump over the balcony rail with him last night, I believe I would have done it. Wouldn't that have surprised old Marlanx? 
Beverly gave a merry laugh. The troubles of the morning seemed to fade away under the warmth of her humor. Yetive sat back and marveled at the manner in which this blithe young American cast out the blue devils. "'You must not do anything foolish, Beverly,' she cautioned. "'Your parents would never forgive me if I allowed you to marry, or even to fall in love with any Tom, Dick, or Harry over here. Baldos may be the gallant, honest gentleman we believe him to be, but he also may be the worst of adventurers.' One can never tell, dear. I wish now that I had not humored you in your plan to bring him to the castle. I'm afraid I have done wrong. You have seen too much of him, and, oh, well, you will be sensible, won't you, dear? There was real concern in the face of the princess. Beverly kissed her rapturously. Don't worry about me, Yetive. I know how to take care of myself. "'Worry about your old Gabrielle, if you like, but don't bother your head about me,' she cried airily. "'Now, let's talk about the war. Marlinx won't do anything until he hears from me. What's the use worrying?' Nightfall brought General Marlinx in from the camps outside the gates. He came directly to the castle and boldly sent word to Beverly that he must speak to her at once.' She promptly answered that she did not want to see him, and would not. Without a moment's hesitation, he appealed for an audience with the princess, and it was granted. He proceeded, with irate coolness, to ask how far she believed herself bound to protect the person of Baldos, the guard. He understood that she was under certain obligations to Miss Calhoun, and he wanted to be perfectly sure of his position before taking a step which now seemed imperative. Baldos was a spy in the employ of Dawsbergen. He had sufficient proof to warrant his arrest and execution. There were documents, and there was positive knowledge that he had conferred with strangers from time to time, even within the walls of the castle grounds. Marlinx cited instances in which Baldos had been seen talking to a strange old man inside the grounds, and professed to have proof that he had gone so far as to steal away by night to meet men beyond the city walls. He was now ready to seize the guard, but would not do so until he had conferred with his sovereign. "'Miss Calhoun tells me that you have made certain proposals to her, Count Marlinx,' said Yetive coldly her eyes upon his hawkish face. "'I have asked her to be my wife, Your Highness. "'You have threatened her, Count Marlinx. "'She has exposed herself to you. "'I would not have told what I saw last night. "'Would it interest you to know "'that I saw everything that passed on the balcony last night? "'You will allow me to say, General, that you have behaved in a most outrageous manner in approaching my guest with such foul proposals. Stop, sir. She has told me everything, and I believe her. I believe my own eyes. There is no need to discuss the matter further. You have lost the right to be called a man. For the present, I have only to say that you shall be relieved of the command of my army.' The man who makes war on women is not fit to serve one. As for Baldos, you are at liberty to prefer the charges. He shall have a fair trial, rest assured. Your Highness, hear me, implored Marlinx, white to the roots of his hair. I will hear what you have to say when my husband is at my side. 
I can but stand condemned, then, your highness, without a hearing. My vindication will come, however. With your permission, I retire to contrive the arrest of this spy. You may depose me, but you cannot ask me to neglect my duty to Graustark. I have tried to save him for Miss Calhoun's sake, but her hand was pointing to the door. Ten minutes later, Beverly was hearing everything from the lips of the princess, and Marlanx was cursing his way toward the barracks, vengeance in his heart. But a swift messenger from the castle reached the guard room ahead of him. Colonel Quinnox was reading an official note from the princess when Marlanx strode angrily into the room. "'Bring this fellow Baldos to me, Colonel Quinnox,' he said, without greeting." I regret to say that I have but this instant received a message from Her Highness, commanding me to send him to the castle, said Quinnox, with a smile. The devil! What foolishness is this? snarled the Iron Count. Have a care, sir, said Quinnox stiffly. It is of the princess you speak. Bah! I am here to order the man's arrest. It is more important, then. Nevertheless, sir— he goes to the castle first. This note says that I am to disregard any command you may give until further notice. Marlinx fell back, amazed and stunned. At this juncture, Baldos entered the room. Quinnox handed him an envelope, telling him that it was from the princess and that he was to repair at once to the castle. Baldos glanced at the handwriting, and his face lit up proudly. I am ready to go, sir, he said, passing the Iron Count with a most disconcerting smile on his face. End of chapter 22